You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. Female police officers from across the province who work for municipal forces have taken the first steps in a class action lawsuit. The suit alleges systemic gender-based harassment and discrimination and names 13 municipalities, the attorney general and public safety minister as defendants. A warning the specific allegations are quite disturbing and may not be suitable for all viewers. Catherine Urquhart met with those who say they were victimized and has the exclusive details. They are all current and former municipal police officers, having served in total more than 70 years. On Thursday, all six women gathered at their lawyer's office, four in person, two virtually. This as they launch a proposed class action lawsuit for discrimination and harassment based on gender. Well, it made me very angry. And again, I'm just disgusted that it's 2023 and it's been allowed to persist. I think I can speak for all of us when we've all been in very dark places. Mm -hmm. And I consider myself lucky to have been able to leave. Allegations in the 25-page lawsuit are stunning. It says that you were threatened to be penetrated with a service rifle by a male officer. Yes. Much like um, Helen said, you go quiet. Here it says that fellow officers drew a penis in your police notebook with the caption, next time it won't be on a sticky note. How did you feel at the time of that? I was very junior. I was still in my block two training when that happened. Um, it surprised me and I wasn't prepared for it. Other allegations include an explicit video involving a woman engaged in a sexual act with a horse, routine jokes about oral sex and unwanted physical contact and invitations for sex with co-workers. One officer survived a sexual assault by another Vancouver police officer. He was convicted and jailed. What ends up happening with somebody like me is you're left with two options. You quit your job or you kill yourself. Court documents claim that in the days after the assault, a number of meetings were held to support her attacker, but not her. The survivor and the other officers say the system failed to protect them and a class action could help other women. There are more of us, but they're not willing to put their name out there because they don't have the support system, they don't have the courage, they don't have the strength. So I'm going to do that for them. The officers say their complaints led to retaliation and all of them suffered from depression and PTSD. Yeah, it's changed me. I think my family would all agree. It remains unclear if this new suit will go ahead as a class action. If it doesn't, the officers say they'll move forward with a complaint to the Human Rights Tribunal. This is bigger than us. We are the tip of the iceberg and we have a strength among us now that we can pull on from each other to speak for everybody who can't. And we're not, there's no way we're stopping. So far, none of the defendants have responded. And Catherine Urquhart joins us now with more on this exclusive. Catherine, what's the next step in the process for these women? Well, Chris, this will be a process and it could take years. First, a judge must rule if the case should proceed as a class action. If the judge agrees, it's then considered to be certified. Individuals who may be impacted would then be notified. In this case, that would potentially involve hundreds of women officers. The claim would then continue to a trial or there would be a negotiated settlement, as we saw with the RCMP. That resulted in more than $100 million being awarded to female officers. 
Again, this will take time, but the women that I spoke to today say they're committed to seeing this through and bringing about positive change. Chris? And we'll stay on the coverage of this as well. Catherine, thank you. Catherine Urquhart reporting for us tonight. Now to the violence in the Middle East and concerns about safety across the globe, including here at home. Jewish federations across the country are warning communities to have heightened awareness. Troy Charles is live with more on this story. And Troy, it comes after a former Hamas leader called for a day of global protests. That's correct, Chris. I'm here outside the Shar Sadak Synagogue on Oak Street. And as you can see behind me, a VPD police cruiser is here. And since we've been here, officers have been making their rounds around the synagogue. And that all stems from the former Hamas leader calling for tomorrow to be a day of action. A police presence has been visible at other Jewish institutions and places of worship around Vancouver. The Jewish Federation of Greater Vancouver says Hamas is calling for violence in Israel, causing Jewish centers and institutions across B.C. to once again rampant up security. Earlier today, we spoke with Vancouver police and Jewish officials in the city regarding any possible threat. So we're continuously monitoring the situation, just like every other law enforcement agency is. Um, we're continuing to monitor, we're continuing to do risk assessments, um, and we'll respond as necessary to any uh, public safety concerns that arise here in Vancouver. That said, we don't have any specific information about any specific threats uh, to any places in Vancouver. When they are calling on each other to attack Jewish people, uh, attack Jewish institutions and businesses, uh, in a day of rage. Um, we take that seriously. I know we just heard it there, but it bears repeating. Vancouver police not aware of any specific threat in Vancouver, and they'll continue to monitor the evolving situation, just like we will continue to monitor this evolving situation and report back with any news as it comes in. Chris? No doubt you will. That's Troy Charles reporting for us in Vancouver tonight. Thank you, Troy. The first flights getting Canadians out of Israel began today. Many are desperate to get out, but still feel a sense of guilt for leaving other family members behind. Aaron MacArthur reports. Uh, they've opened up the gate for us on the third floor uh, check-in counter. It's, uh, Thursday morning, the first group of Canadians able to head home. The military aircraft, with just more than 100 people, was able to take off from Tel Aviv, not among them. Yaron Butterfield. I want to get back to Vancouver to be with my daughter. Sorry. The Vancouver man has been bumped from several flights out of Israel. He feels he can't wait until his next scheduled departure Monday. Instead, arriving at the airport Thursday, hoping there might be a seat available. There's, a, I think, a reasonable chance that we'll get one of the flights tomorrow. Using the military aircraft, Canada is planning two flights a day from Tel Aviv to Athens. About 5,000 people have registered with Global Affairs. 800 Canadians have expressed interest in leaving the region, some reluctantly. Shirley Simon is leaving her husband behind while she brings the kids to Canada. I've done everything to stay here through other wars and other situations and never thought in my mind to leave. The fear is the conflict will escalate quickly. The bombardment of Gaza has intensified. Israeli troops have massed near the border. The government maintaining a full-scale ground invasion of the Palestinian enclave is imminent. 
That assault made more complicated by the more than 100 hostages being held by Hamas. The group Canada labels as a terrorist organization threatening to kill the captives if Israel mobilizes. I feel I'm leaving my family that's here and, and I'll be praying and on the news every minute. By Thursday afternoon, the first Canadians had arrived in Athens where they will receive a code to book onward travel via Air Canada. The flight to Toronto expected to leave Friday morning. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A funeral was held in Israel for the 22-year-old Vancouver man killed by Hamas. Thousands came together to honor the life of Ben Mizrahi. Friends say he died a hero. They say Mizrahi was at the Supernova Music Festival in southern Israel on Saturday, tending to victims when he was shot and killed. Canadian Aviv Troy was bunkmates in the Israeli Defense Force with Mizrahi. He says he's fighting for Ben and all the others who lost their lives. He said, hey, I'm from Canada. We just, we really, we, we clicked immediately. Um, we, had, we had a full year together. He was, slept the top bunk, I was bottom bunk. I'd wake him up every morning, <laughs> he'd curse me out. <laughs> he really, he just found a place in my heart. I found a place in his heart. Mizrahi graduated from King David High School in Vancouver back in 2018. The young man who pleaded guilty to setting the devastating 2016 Five Corners fire that destroyed a White Rock condo building and businesses apologized to victims in court today. And as Janet Brown reports, victims of the fire got their chance to tell James Adrian Dyer how his actions impacted their lives. It was seven years ago that fire destroyed the Ocean Ridge condominium building in White Rock's Five Corners neighborhood, along with a number of businesses and an under construction condo. Charges of arson were announced back in February, and a few months later, James Adrian Dyer pleaded guilty. Sir, do you have anything to say to us? It was a terrible tragedy. I think everybody's been through a lot. And like I said, I'd like to apologize, not apologize, but, you know, feelings out there. He is a good son. He is a good boy. He has changed his ways. At his sentencing hearing at Provincial Court in Surrey, a joint submission by the Crown and Defence called for a conditional sentence, meaning time served in the community. It is difficult for everyone involved, for sure. I cannot make any comments because the judge has not made a decision yet. Court heard Dyer, who was 18 at the time, was intoxicated by drugs and alcohol. Dyer stood in the courtroom reading an apology that he had written on his phone. And through tears, here is what he had to say. I apologize to everyone. To the victims mainly, I made terrible decisions that night. I wish I could go back in time and make much different decisions. I am so sorry for hurting everyone. I understand why people are angry and sad. I ruin people's lives. And from the deepest part of my soul, I apologize. Two people read victim impact statements in court, one who lost their home, the other who lost her coffee shop. He ruined my, my financial status, right? He ruined my dream of my little shop of why I went into small business and he ruined it for me. Seven years later, the destroyed buildings being restored. Dyer is expected to be sentenced in coming weeks. Janet Brown, Global News. A decision today by the Supreme Court of Canada is a major boost to the B.C. government's efforts to seize the proceeds of crime. Ramina Dea reports.
It's the end of a 16-year battle between the province and Hells Angels. The winner, the province of B.C., the highest court in Canada, refusing to hear the bikers' appeal. At the center of the case, three HA clubhouses seized by the B.C. government earlier this year after it won an epic civil forfeiture case against the Hells Angels. The properties in Vancouver, Kelowna and Nanaimo assessed at just over $3 million. The government had argued the assets were obtained through organized crime. The Supreme Court of Canada issued a short statement Thursday stating the Angels' application was dismissed. No reasons given, which is standard procedure by the High Court. When asked about the decision, a spokesperson for the HA told Global News there's nothing to say. In an effort to halt the seizures, the Angels took the province to court and initially won in B.C. Supreme Court three years ago. But that decision was overturned by the B.C. Court of Appeal in February of this year. B.C.'s specialized anti-gang unit says the decision by the country's top court sends a strong message to organized crime that the Civil Forfeiture Office has the power to come after you legally. They're a powerful tool uh, that... that uh, falls outside the criminal court system. If you're committing crimes in British Columbia, you should expect your property and your money and all of your ill-gotten gains to then be handed over to the civil forfeiture office and end up in the hands of victims of crime. CFSEU says the three HA clubhouses have not been sold yet, but they should hit the real estate market soon. The money will go to support crime prevention programs across the province. Romina Dea, Global News. It's a startling first-hand account of the deadly Saanich bank robbery. And I saw one of the bad guys turn around with, a, with an SKS rifle, and in my brain it was just, oh, f One of the officers critically injured when the suspects opened fire shares his brush with death and other details. Next on the News Hour. A bit more expanded area. Not giving up the growing search for a missing Whistler senior later. Plus, this could be one of the coolest, most exciting adventures that I could possibly go on. Going all in, the BC man aiming to complete an Ironman triathlon on all seven continents and his intense training plan coming up. Right now, though, 15 months after the shootout at a Saanich bank where six police officers were shot and the two suspects killed, several of the first responders that day are now sharing their stories. As Kylie Stanton reports, the head of the emergency response team and others spoke about their experiences on a police union podcast. It's been more than a year since heavy gunfire shattered the quiet of a Saanich neighborhood changing lives forever. Oh my God, Holy dude. Now, for the first time, those who lived through it are telling their story publicly. That morning started off like any other morning for us. This call came over the radio um, of a bank robbery, and it, it, something about it just didn't, didn't sound right. The Victoria Police Union's True Blue podcast has released a six-part series on the Saanich BMO bank robbery and shootout. The episodes, totaling roughly five hours, detail the events of those harrowing minutes. From the e-com dispatcher that took the call and listened as it all unfolded. It's like stomach dropped. It's not, not something you ever want to hear over the air. 
to the officers who were shot by the twin brothers, left fighting for their lives. The shock catches up to you, right? And you're like, yeah. oh, Jesus, like, I might... I might die here. Like, I don't I don't know. Yeah. yeah and yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't want to shut my eyes because I'm yeah. going to die if I shut my eyes. It paints a picture of what's considered one of the region's darkest days in policing. This gives you a very in-depth behind the scenes and first person accounts of of exactly what was happening and and the processes that each member goes through after the fact. Very in-depth. You know, that decision I've been thinking about nonstop for a year. I imagine. With the gunman outside the bank, the Gvert tactical team leader saw a window and took it. It is a significant exchange of gunfire that results in both of those suspects dying uh, and six of the seven of us in the van being shot. I truly thought that um, that my, my, my friends were dying. I, I thought they were getting shot. So yeah. you want to fight that much harder because you're like, I'm not, I'm not orphaning that guy's kid. Despite the physical and mental toll, their actions kept the community safe. And at the end of the day, they say that's the job. We paid a significant price as a result, but I'm happy, happy to do it again. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Municipal politicians and first responders would like to see the end of an encampment in Vancouver's Crab Park. Tents have been up for nearly two years now, but no one can say when it will be dismantled. As Kristen Robinson reports, a promise to find housing for its occupants is easier said than done. One of the first views for helijet passengers landing in Vancouver Harbour is the encampment on the northwest edge of Crab Park. Tents have been set up in the public park since May of 2021. During a visit Thursday, a person claiming to live on the south side where the park control bylaw does not permit tents to stay up during the day grabbed our phone and threatened to smash it. In May 2022, a man was murdered in Crab Park. The encampment was also the scene of a mass stabbing and a major tent fire. It takes a split second. Firefighters have responded to nine fires at Crab Park so far this year and remain concerned about open flames and combustible materials. Uh, I would like to see no nobody ever living in an encampment. I think it's a manageable size right now and, and there's rules in place because there isn't housing or shelter space available. I think when they spread out beyond that, it's creating uh, more of a risk. Since January, the city says there have been 48 unique offers of shelter with eight people sleeping at Crab Park accepting shelter and six housing placements. I think we'd like to try and see it closed and, and, and the park um, uh, not, no longer having a campment as soon as possible. Until then, we have to abide by the Supreme Court decision, which uh, says that people are allowed to camp in that part of, the, of Crab Park. Uh, that site had over 80 people at one point, uh, and I believe now it's at 37, uh, and, uh, and we've been offering people housing, and people have been taking up that housing. Uh, we are uh, looking at what is required for us legally in order to be able to uh, take steps to ensure everybody in the community is safe. Almost a year after BC's Premier promised to deal with encampments, Councillor Pete Fry says the province needs to address the growing problem. What do we do for people right here, right now? A lot of folks are, you know, well within their rights to reject it because a lot of the shelter system means you can go in there and spend the night and then you got to pack up and walk around the city for the rest of the day. And many, Fry says, would rather live in a tent. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A heads up if you want to avoid long sailing weights. 
So when we have two major vessels out of service unexpectedly, that's what's causing us the impact. Some advice if you're traveling between Vancouver and Victoria this weekend. Plus, we don't get a whole lot of donations because of the animals we deal with. The housing crunch creates a crisis at Reptile Rescue, now struggling with an influx of abandoned pets. Good evening and some good news over here at the Golden Ears Bridge. After being here for so long, it finally just cleared a police incident southbound at mid-span in the right lane. Traffic is fully recovered in both directions. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Golden Ears Bridge. More trouble at BC Ferries today for anyone with a vehicle hoping to travel between Metro Vancouver and Victoria. All sailings in both directions between Tawasson and Swartz Bay are sold out for vehicle passengers today. And multiple sailings on the same route in both directions are sold out or almost sold out for vehicles tomorrow as well. BC Ferries is attributing the congestion to the removal of the Spirit of Vancouver Island vessel on Tuesday for repairs. The Coastal Renaissance, which usually travels between Tawasson and Nanaimo, is also undergoing maintenance because of engine failure. It's an extraordinary situation uh, that we have uh, these two major vessels uh, out of service right now. Um, we didn't, uh, you know, originally plan to have uh, the Spirit of Vancouver Island out of service, but it is very important that we get that vessel uh, repaired. Uh, we went, uh, you know, over the uh, long weekend, we wanted to make sure we had the capacity there, but we need to get that ship repaired and we will get it back into service just as soon as we can. BC Ferries is advising passengers heading to the island to either travel as foot passengers or through the two Nanaimo sailing routes if they don't have a reservation this weekend. The Spirit of Vancouver Island is expected to return to service next Thursday, the Coastal Renaissance, not until December. Well, we're now seeing the impact on the Okanagan wine industry of a major cold snap last year. Here's a good example of the carnage that we witnessed here this year. Row upon row of damaged vines. Spearhead Winery is reporting an almost 100% loss. Normally, they pick about 25 tons of grapes or 40 bins. This year, they filled half of one bin. The downside of that for us is uh, not, not only do we not have the grapes to make the wine, but also, you know, we, uh, we still have as much work to do in the vineyard, if not a little more, to bring the vines to a position where they're able to, you know, come back and, and uh, continue producing in the, in the ensuing years. We've been seeing a steady decline in the quantity of grapes that we've been able to harvest, and uh, we've been concerned about that for a while. And this last event just really uh, just drove the point home. Wine Growers BC now says it's working to replant vineyards, but it needs funding from the government to do so. The province has signed a memorandum of understanding with the city of Kelowna to work together to address homelessness. Housing Minister Ravi Kalon made the announcement today. He says his government will work with the city to better support unhoused people. The MOU clarifies the roles of both parties to help those sheltering outdoors and create new temporary housing options. Callon says the city of Kelowna has committed to providing available land for new shelter and supportive housing projects. I am determined.
to work with other local governments and partners to ensure these services can be spread throughout the province. Everyone deserves to have the opportunity to come home and have a safe and stable place that they call home. Here in Kelowna and communities around the province, we're going to be taking action and working together to address these challenges. It's going to require co-ops, it's going to require not-for-profits, municipalities, home builders, and of course senior levels of government. The City of Vancouver reached a similar agreement with the province back in March of 2021. It's a heartbreaking decision for any family to give up their pet, but it's happening a lot these days. As Cassidy Moscone reports, the problem is only getting worse with the ongoing housing crisis. She's, she's got some size to her there. There aren't many animals wild education doesn't take in. It ranges from bearded dragons to ball pythons, but we also get tegus, which are a big lizard. Uh, lots of boas have come in, lots of chameleons have come in, tortoises. The Abbotsford Sanctuary is BC's largest reptile rescue centre, and they're full. Last year we took in 123 animals, this year we're already at 117. Soaring surrenders, Mike says, is another side effect of BC's crippling housing crisis. The majority of the animals that are coming in right now are because people can't find a home to live that's big enough to keep their animals. A lot of people are having to downsize. Um, there are some people that are becoming homeless because they can't afford to, a place to live. Darren Grant is one of them. He was pushed out of his rental, now living in his trailer with no room for his lizard Nacho. 13-year friend, you know, it sucks. It really sucks. When I got the eviction notice, I basically sat on my couch for two weeks wondering what was going on. I couldn't, couldn't comprehend what was happening. How sad is that? It's, it's very emotional and it's, it's hard for us too because there's been a lot of times when people are surrendering their animals and they're, they're crying in that because it's something they don't want to do but they don't have a choice right now because they can't afford anything else. And I would say for the last nearly decade or so, it's actually been the top reason for the surrender of adult and senior animals to our shelters. Over 11,000 animals since 2014 because of a lack of pet-friendly housing in the province. Animal advocacy groups have been lobbying the BC government to remove any restrictions around pet ownership for renters. In Ontario, landlords legally can't say no to any pets, not even these guys. The BC SPCA optimistic change could be coming. The Union of BC Municipalities Convention uh, in September, they actually passed a pet-friendly housing resolution, so we're just waiting on the provincial government to respond to that resolution. The housing minister's response to our question, we are not currently considering removing pet restrictions. Advice taken from a government task force which shot down the idea in 2017. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Coming up on Without a Trace, Whistler search crews won't give up the search for a missing 80-year-old knowing time is running out. And we'll clear up some confusion about those fall booster shots next. Good evening, but bad news over here at the Alex Razor Bridge. Just dealing with this stalled semi or car transport carrier here. Northbound at mid-span in the far right lane. Traffic is getting backed up out of Delta. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a stalled semi at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Searchers are still not giving up trying to find an elderly man who's gone missing in the Whistler area. 
SAR teams from as far away as Vancouver Island and the Fraser Valley have been brought in to expand the search for 80-year-old Robert McKean, who's living with dementia. He was last seen Thanksgiving Monday in the Upper Alpine neighborhood walking with his dog Lexi. Now, four days later, about 40 searchers focused on hiking and mountain bike trails using past experience in looking for people with dementia. Approximately 25% uh, of dementia subjects are found within uh, 0.23 uh, kilometer radius. Uh, another 50% within 0.8 kilometer radius and 75% uh, over about a kilometer and a half. So the search area is fairly small comparatively to some of the other regimes, but uh, and that, that, that gives us a lot of hope that we will meet with success. Temperatures at night in Whistler have been dropping to just 8 degrees. Survivability in those conditions without shelter is said to be about 96 hours. If McKean is not found by late Friday, the number of searchers could increase to about 125 on Saturday. In Health Matters tonight, for a vaccination campaign to be effective, most would agree it has to be simple. And critics say BC's system is not simple enough. The rollout began this week to a lot of fanfare, but as Richard Zussman reports, there are fears people will give up trying to get the shots. It's a shot off to a fast start. The first couple of days actually has been very busy in all the pharmacies. Um, we are seeing that uh, there is a demand out there. Pharmacies busy as BC's full booster shot campaign kicks off, but healthcare experts warn the first few weeks is the busiest and vaccine interest is waning. 87% of British Columbians have received one COVID-19 vaccine, 84% have two, then the drop-off, 56% with three and 33 with four. Those 70 plus, the people at highest risk of severe illness, there's also been a drop-off. 95% of the first COVID shot, 94 the second, 87 the third, 73 the fourth, and then down to 54%. The vaccine rollout should be as simple as possible. The vaccination system is cumbersome. The invitation system shouldn't be necessary and is confusing for many. One suggestion is making it a full drop-in system and scrap the Get Vaccinated website. The way the portal currently works is people receive a text when it's their turn and then they can book a shot at a pharmacy. There is no interest from the province to go away from that. We had a booking system uh, for influenza vaccines last year that was the most successful year in history. We've established using that platform. Pharmacists have been administering the COVID shot and the flu shot together, but there have been some challenges, including a shortage of the vaccine. And in some cases, people have attempted to book a COVID-19 shot, but weren't eligible because it hasn't been six months since their last shot. Uh, depending on the pharmacy, some actually are having a delay in getting the supply of both. Um, in terms of what to do next, definitely get the one that you're uh, available to get. And Minister Adrian Dix also noting getting the shot now is crucial and it's near impossible to find someone in the province who doesn't have COVID right now or know someone who does. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Still ahead, a grueling test of human endurance. All the naysayers actually gave me motivation to, to keep going. A young man on a quest to complete seven Ironman races on seven continents and the most daunting challenge he'll face yet.
And in sports, how a football phenom from Texas landed in the lap of the UBC Thunderbirds. Coming up in sports. The U.S. Coast Guard is sharing some pretty dramatic video of the rescue of two Canadian sailors off the coast of Washington State. The Coast Guard says the two men were aboard a sailboat that had torn sails and had lost power with a broken propeller. The boat was adrift about 80 nautical miles off Nia Bay in high waves when they were spotted by the Coast Guard helicopter. As you can see, it lowered a basket and the two men were hoisted to safety. The pair was airlifted to hospital in Port Angeles in stable condition, although described as very cold. Glad they're back to safety. All right, let's check in with Christy uh, now as we get closer to this weekend. It's a beautiful shot behind you, and we got some beautiful sunshine today, too. We had some great sunshine. So, yeah, it was definitely warm today. We've got more warm weather on the way for us tomorrow. But I thought we'd just take a moment to look at the sunset tonight. Stunning. Now, we've had an update from the BC Drought Portal, which gives us an indication of where we're at in terms of that moisture in the ground. We've had an improvement just over the last week. This one was from last week. This is today. It updates every Thursday, by the way, and we'll keep you posted. So we've had a bit of an improvement in the Prince George area to a level four. Also, the North Coast has improved further to a level one. North Coast is doing really well. But across southern BC, we actually haven't seen much of a change. And we have had some rain across our area, but not some substantial rain. The other thing I'm concerned about is we need drastic improvement in the Prince George, BC Peace River area before things really freeze, the ground freezes, and we can't get that moisture into the ground. And we're not too far away from that. All right, so let's have a look at what we're expecting. We're going to see a band of rainfall move ashore tomorrow night. So tomorrow during the day, looking great across the province, but south coast if you're up late friday night you'll likely see rainfall we'll see a bit of a break saturday another wave rainfall a saturday night and then we've got another on deck you get the picture we've got moisture on the way beyond friday night so tomorrow will be a nice one but beyond friday night into our saturday we've got several systems on the way so enjoy tomorrow any cloud cover you see here would just be through the early part of the day we'll see extensive fog in some of the interior regions i had a report of another fog bow by the way in the interior so don't forget get to look out for that tomorrow morning you could see that and especially a slowdown on the roads but yes by Friday night we are certainly looking at unsettled weather it does look like there's a chance that the heaviest rain will happen at night over the weekend nonetheless unsettled conditions Kristen sharing this one how cool is that not only is the uh, spider created this awesome web in amongst this reed but also the dew on it so thanks Chris Kristen for capturing that perfect as we get closer <laughs> to Halloween Okay, can uh, I yeah. ask a question of Christy? Yeah. Sure. If, in fact, the spider had been on that web, would you have shown that photo? <laughs> <laughs> you would be amazed at how much better I've gotten about being around spiders. Here in North Fan, we get some pretty big spiders, and I don't, I am actually able to trap them and put them outside wow. now. Wow. Oh, that is yeah. all more arachnophobia. That's good. You just need to work on Sophie and Marsha now, too, our producer, so <laughs> <laughs> they still have... They're scared. Hey, hey, everything, she says no thanks. Everything worked out beautifully yes. for the Canucks last yes. night. Yes, everybody was happy, but Rick Talkett was a little more subdued about it. This game can turn on you quickly if you, uh, if you don't respect it. So we'll respect this game. You know, good effort, and we'll come in and work tomorrow. Uh, yes, 8-1 over Edmonton was something nobody expected.
All right, thanks, Squire. Also coming up. When you start to believe in yourself, other people start to believe in you. It's a lofty goal. You'll meet the BC man on a mission to complete seven Ironmans on seven continents. An amazing result last night. Good to see Talkett's keeping it real, though. Oh, yes, he is. Mm -hmm. But if we had said last night on this very show, before the game started, that the Canucks-Oilers game would end 8-1 and somebody would score four goals, everybody would have said Oilers and McDavid or Oilers and Dreisaitl, not Canucks and Brock Besser gets four. It's a good thing Vancouver has a new scoreboard at Rogers Arena because they might have broken the old one with all those goals. All the plans Rick Talkett drew up on whiteboards during training camp, came to life in one of the most memorable opening night games in team history. Everything for the Canucks went right. The penalty kill kept Edmonton from getting off to a good start in the first period. Forward checking, you can see it on this goal by Brock Besser, the work from Phil DiGiuseppe and JT Miller. How about hard to play against? Well, a heavier Elias Pettersson threw his newfound weight around on Cody Ceci. The goaltending was solid from both goalies because Thatcher Demko left in the third period because of the flu. He didn't really want to come out then. Then when he puked in his mask, I said, you got to come out. Okay, that was gross. But best of all were the goals, all eight of them. Things went so well, Vancouver's Connor had one more goal than Edmonton's Connor. But Rick Talkett is not about to get too happy with things when there are still 81 games to go. Uh, listen, it's it's one game. You know, obviously everything went our way tonight, and I'm proud of the guys. But um, you know, this is a this is a long haul. We're not ordering rings around here. It's one game, and it was uh, it was a good game. And now we just but you can still learn, like you learn from it, and and, and you can feel good about it. It's just that you got to come back to earth a little bit tomorrow, and that's really kind of our learning lesson. And they play in Edmonton on Saturday. Nick Taylor. Down in Vegas at the uh, Shriners Children's event. This is from 59 feet away. I think anything between 59 and 73 feet for Taylor's a gimme. Wow. Yep. Getting close to the lead, 17th hole is a par three. This is Taylor again. This is a nice, nice tee shot. At least it appears to be a nice tee shot. It's got a little too much roll on it. And you can see that if you go too far on this green, gravity is no longer your friend. He bogeyed that, birdied 18. He is three off the lead at minus six. Hadwin is uh, five off the lead at minus four. Svensson, eight off the lead at minus one. The UBC Thunderbirds have a very good football team this year. They're a Vanier Cup contender. And you can't be a good football team without a good quarterback. And they have one, Garrett Rooker. He's been great for the T-Birds so far this year. But he's not your typical Canadian University star player because he came all the way from Texas to play here. Rooker's keeping at the five, fakes the throw, vaults it, and he is into the end zone. Garrett Rooker. How does a kid growing up in football-crazy Houston, Texas end up playing Canadian football in Vancouver? Garrett Rooker's journey north actually started with his dad, Jay, a world-renowned marine biologist who regularly sends his grad students up to UBC. And it was one of those grad students who got the ball rolling. One of them decided to send my tape randomly to actually the head basketball coach here, Coach Hansen at UBC, um, and he found out I played football. 
talked to Coach Nil, and then Nil kind of took it over. Um, and it was a it was a weird recruiting process, you know, hearing about ca Canadian football. I wasn't very familiar with it at all. But he was intrigued and abandoned the two-sport idea to play football exclusively. He started picking up the Canadian game quite well, thanks to that two-sport elite athleticism. But last October, he suffered a serious displacement and fracture of his hip. But he recovered ahead of schedule and has lit up Canada West this year, leading the conference in all the key categories, pass completions, yards, and touchdowns. He's a playmaker. I'll tell you what, somehow the ball gets in the receiver's hands. He, his accuracy is, is above average, and he can make plays on his feet. This game fits his skill set perfectly. Rooker's been the main reason why UBC is 4-1, tied for first, and a legitimate contender for the Vanier Cup. His breakout season has also got the attention of CFL scouts. Since Rooker will graduate at a Canadian school, he'll be considered a national player by any CFL team that drafts him, and that seems very likely. They like his playmaking ability, and, and a lot of that's going to happen if we can get UBC into some big games nationally, you'll see his stock rise. Yeah, having an opportunity to play professional football has always been a dream of mine. Um, and to have, you know, come here and kind of have that way where I can be a Canadian and, and represent the CFL is, is awesome. And I'm yeah, excited to kind of pursue that opportunity as well. It's felt like home and, and I kind of feel like a, a, a Canadian that's been brought up, yeah. There you go. Welcome to BC. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Up next, seven Ironmans on seven continents and the BC man who's very close to completing it. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. A BC man is taking the immense physical challenge of an Ironman race to the next level in a quest to set a world record. He's training in some of the most extreme conditions because he's facing what will be his toughest test yet. Jay Durant shows us more in This is BC. Soon it will be back to the mountains for training as the weather gets colder. Connor Emini is in search of settings as similar to Antarctica as he can find. Climb the alpine, cut holes in the ice, swim in the ice. Really find the kind of harshest conditions we can to simulate that and, and replicate that. This January, he'll attempt something that has never been done to complete iron triathlon distances on all seven continents. I think the swim is is scary. You know, there's there's leopard seals and, and different types of creatures in the water. This is a journey that started three years ago. After finishing his first Ironman, Connor decided to go for six more around the world. Wow, this could be one of the coolest, most exciting adventures that I could possibly go on. In that moment, I decided to go all in on this adventure. Counting them off at each finish line, Africa was number four, Asia number five, after a scramble to find a bike his size following a last minute entry in the Philippines. When the average height is five feet in the, in the whole country and I'm six foot two, it, it was hard to find, but one person said they might have a bike. Ultra in runner. Brazil last year at age 26, he became the youngest person to do six Ironman races on six different continents. Lots of ups and downs and, and lots of strange looks and eyebrows raised. All the naysayers actually gave me motivation to, to keep going as well. Inspiring him even further to endure the intense training to tackle Antarctica and make it seven continents in less than four years. Wow. 
Nice. Woo! Yes, boy. Yeah. When you start to believe in yourself, other people start to believe in you. And I think that with that mentality, you can make it happen. I want more dreamers and doers in the world. I think that's what the world needs more of. Jay Durant, Global News. Oh, Connor, good luck to you. Squire says it's a bad idea. <laughs> well, hey, the Antarctic know, part. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC you want to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Jay will take a look, and maybe you'll be featured on the news I, hour too. Crazy, isn't it? It's, it's more than impressive. That's not enough yeah. of a word. But Antarctica, yeah. that's a whole different ballgame. You know what else I'm was impressive? I'm just blown I, I away by people that have dreams like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say what, what else was impressive is you matching your top to the sunset photo that you had in the weather window <laughs> today. Almost exactly that beautiful orange glow. Last word before we yep. go. Sure, for sure. Uh, so we are expecting sunshine tomorrow and some nice warmth, as you can tell. But by Friday night, if you're out late, you can expect rainfall. So don't leave home without a rain jacket tomorrow right. night. Thanks for the advice and thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great evening and we'll see you tomorrow.